I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, today as we, I give the charge, that's my, my duty here today is to give the deacon charge. And so today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're looking at verses 8 through 13 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 933 in the pew Bible. Page 933 in the pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then please take that pew Bible with you. And that's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 13. There are two biblically ordained offices in the church. Only two. Uh, there's other denominations. They have all kinds of different offices. But there are only two biblical ordained biblically ordained offices within the church that is there's there's two offices in the in the church that the the bible tells us this is it right so it's not chairman of a committee or that sort of thing there's two offices for the church and those are first of all the office of elder or pastor that's the first office that we see in scripture and the the office of elder or pastor is to provide spiritual leadership for the church uh, their main, main, main duty, that's me, my main duty here is to preach and teach God's word, to uphold biblical doctrine within the church, to make sure we're biblically sound, and then to guide the church in her mission to uh, spread, spread the gospel throughout the world, and to pray for the mem members and the ministry of the church. So we see in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 6, uh, those who are elders in the church, they were given to the ministry of the word and prayer. And so that's the primary duty of the elder pastor within the church, to lead in spiritual leadership in the church. But then there's the second office that was ordained, also there in Acts chapter 6, and that is the office of deacon. Uh, now the deacon is a, a little bit different than the pastor, uh, they're, a, uh, they're a leader within the church, but their leadership is of, of servant leadership. A deacon is a servant leader. They help the pastor by taking care of the, the ordinary business of the church. They take care of certain administrative duties within the church. They, they care for the saints as the, the ministry rolls on. So as today we, we look at the office of deacon we see here that it is a high calling. The office of deacon is a high calling. In fact, in our text here, and I'm also going to jump down to the end real quick, but uh, chapter 3, verse 13 of 1 Timothy, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the church, or excuse me, in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So in other words, it's a high calling. It's a good calling. It's a good office to be in, and it's an important uh, duty, an important office within the church. So it's not something to be taken lightly. Those who are called to deacon, to be a deacon, uh, not just anyone can do that. Not just any man will do, right? And in fact, as we, our text here shows us, there are certain qualities and certain qualifications that a, a deacon, a man must 
uh, uphold before he is even qualified for this office. And so today I want, to, uh, I want us to consider here from this three qualities uh, of a Christ-like character that, we, that a deacon should have. So we recognize this, the church has recognized these in Terrell. That's why he's been nominated by the church and approved by the deacons. Uh, he, he has these certain qualities. So I want us to look at these qualities today. And, and it's, these qualities aren't something, uh, they're, they're not extraordinary qualities. Right? They're, they're not extraordinary qualities. In fact, we see these same qualities, most of them uh, for the, the office of elder. The only real difference, the only significant difference between an elder and a deacon is an elder has to have the ability to teach. The elder has to have the ability to teach. But otherwise, a lot of these character qualities that we see, they're the same. They just carry on down into the office of deacon. But also notice that they're not something so extraordinary uh, within the church at large either. These are Christ-like qualities. These are qualities that every Christian should be striving for in his or her life. They're, they're qualities that you should be striving for, each and every one of you. So today I want us to look at these Christ-like characters, and I want to challenge uh, Terrell and all the deacons, along with each and every one of you, to maintain the qualities of Christ-like character in order to reflect Christ to the church and to the world. So that's my challenge to Terrell, that's my challenge to all the deacons, that's my challenge to each and every person here today. Maintain the qualities of a Christ-like character in order to reflect Christ to the church and to the world. So this isn't just a message for Terrell. It's not just a message for the deacons. It's a message for everyone here who is listening to this message today. You want these qualities in your life. These are qualities you should be striving for in your own life. So maintain the qualities of a Christ-like character in order to reflect Christ to the church and to the world. So today we're going to see three such qualities, three main qualities uh, that, we come, that come out of our text. So if you found your place there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. I hear the word of the Lord. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first then let them serve as deacons as it as uh, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless their wives likewise must be dignified not slanderers but sober-minded faithful in all things let deacons each be the husband of one wife many managing their children and their own households well for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today I thank you for Terrell and uh, Lord, your calling to him, to this, this office, the office of deacon. Lord, thank you for uh, 
these qualities that are already in his life. And I pray, Lord, that you would help him to maintain these qualities and continue to strive to be more like you as he lives on in the faith. And Lord, I pray for every deacon and every member of this church and every Christian that is here. Lord, that as we accept Christ in our life, Lord, you begin this work in us to make us like Jesus. So, Father, help us to, to take these qualities to heart, each and every one of us. And, Lord, help us to strive for these qualities, to maintain and uphold these qualities, and even, even uh, improve these qualities in our lives so that we can reflect the image of you in this world so that the lost and dying world may look at us and see your love, your grace, your mercy, and be drawn to you. May you receive glory and honor in all that we do. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. So here we have the, the qualifications of a deacon, which give us the qualities of a deacon, the qualities of a Christ-like character. And the first thing that we see here, the first quality that we see is this, a deacon is morally respectable. A deacon is morally respectable. Notice what our text says there, deacons likewise, in other words, just like the elders, the deacons must likewise be dignified. Dignified. What that word there means, it, it, it has this idea of being morally upright, morally respectable within the community of faith and the community at large, right? They're to be morally respectable. And then he goes on to give a couple of negatives, right? Because if you, you get this positive and you're wondering how to find it, somehow, sometimes the best way to uh, define a term is to say what it's not. And so Paul goes on to, to give us some negatives there to kind of indicate what he's talking about here. So let him be dignified. He must be dignified. That is, not double-tongued, not double-tongued, or, or not devious in his, his language, not devious in his speech. That is, a person's not to be, a deacon is not to be devious, but he's to be a, a man who is honest and trustworthy, Someone that, that you can trust what they're telling you, right? They're, they're not trying to get something over on someone. There's a, in this world, there's a lot of smooth-tongued people out there, right? They're, they're salesmen. They're always trying to get something over on someone else. And they'll tell you whatever you want to hear to get what they want out of you. But that can't be a deacon. A deacon can't be smooth-tongued. He, he can't be slick and slanderous. He, he has to be... He must not be devious, but he must be a man who is honest and trustworthy. I've certainly seen that in Terrell. I can take him at his word, and I can trust that whatever he tells me is, is true. He's not devious, but he is a man who is trustworthy. And so a deacon should be. He should be a man who is honest and trustworthy. But then notice the second negative there. He's not devious, uh, not double-tongued. And also, not addicted to much wine. He's not addicted to much wine. In other words, not a drunkard. Not a drunkard, but he lives with a, a sense of temperance in his life. Now, I don't think this, this verse absolutely has to do with alcohol either. I mean, that's kind of what we, we see in it. We talk about being a drunkard, not given to much wine. 
Uh, but this is a person who is a person of, of temperance. A, a deacon must be a man who has a sense of temperance about him. And not just wine, but, uh, but you can think of so many things. There's so many things that we can take in excess and do an excess, right? We, we can go to the dinner table and we, can, we eat in excess, right? We become gluttons and, and eat in excess. Uh, there's so many other things. You, you can do that with hunting and fishing, can't you? You can be so involved in hunting and fishing that you let everything else go and, and you're, not, you're not devoting your time to, to Christ because, hey, all your, your time is devoted to hunting and fishing. Or it could be anything else, right? You, you, can, you can overwhelm yourself, give yourself to so many things in this world and neglect the most important things. And I really think that's what Paul is talking about here when he says you shouldn't be given to much wine. He shouldn't be given to excess, not just in wine, but in anything else. Because when we, we give in excess to something else, that something else, that ultimately becomes our God, doesn't it? The only thing we should give ourselves to in excess is to Jesus Christ. He's the only one that we should be so devoted to that we, we put everything else aside. So a deacon should not be a drunkard, should not be a man given to excess, but must be temperate, must be temperate. Furthermore, a deacon must be immorally respectable. That means he must not be greedy. He must not be greedy, but rather generous and benevolent. Notice what it says there. Uh, a deacon must not be, uh, he must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, this is a person who is generous and benevolent. They're not all about the mighty dollar. They're not all about getting more themselves, but but they're, they, they love people, and, and they're generous with their time, their money, their energies. They're generous, not greedy. Well, I know Terrell, he's a, he's a log truck driver, so he's definitely not greedy. He, he picked the wrong profession. If you, rather, you picked the wrong profession if you're greedy. Uh, but uh, I've been there. I've done that. So I, I know that experience. But, but a, a deacon cannot be a person who's greedy. You know, God didn't give us our, the things that he has given us, the, the finances and the, the wonderful gifts so that we can hoard them all for ourselves. He's given us stuff so that we can bless others, so that we can show his generosity to other people. And so a deacon cannot be one who is greedy. Well, I think about one who is greedy. Just think about, oh, uh, 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 well, that gum. Uh, my mind just went blank. One of those senior moments. I'm too young for that, aren't I? <laughs> Judas. Judas was one who was so greedy. He, he held the purse, right? He was the treasurer of the, the 12 disciples. And so uh, of Jesus, he held the purse. And, and I remember one text. He got all angry because a lady came in, a woman came in and poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And uh, the text says that he was mad, not because she had poured out the perfume, but because it wasn't taken and sold, because he liked to dip into the bucket, right? He liked to dip in his hand into pot and take some of it. He was greedy. He was greedy for dishonest gain. That can't be a man of God. That can't be a deacon. A deacon must be someone who is generous and, and benevolent, not greedy for dishonest gain. But as I said, these characteristics, these are not 
extraordinary characteristics, right? Uh, these characteristics, uh, being morally respectable, is not something that's just, just common among deacons and, and elders in the church. This is things that the, these are characteristics that should be common among all Christians. While Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So these qualities, being morally respectable, is not just extraordinary quality reserved for pastors and deacons. This is something that we all should have in our lives. We should all have morally moral respectability right we, we should all uphold these characteristics in our lives as followers of jesus christ because we want to reflect his character in this sinful and immoral world so a deacon is morally respectable and maintains moral respectability second a deacon is theologically grounded. A deacon is theologically grounded. As we move along in our text there, and notice what verse 9 says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, what is Paul talking about there? They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, now, we have a, there's a lot in the Bible, right? There's a lot in God's Word that's not so easy to understand. Even Peter makes the comment, some of the things that Paul writes about are, are difficult, hard to understand, and people twist them uh, for their own good, right? And, and so there are things in Scripture that's hard to understand. What Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy, he, he's not saying that a deacon... Uh, has to know everything in here and have it all figured out, right? Uh, if that's the case, we're all in trouble, right? Because I, 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 there's still some, a lot of things in this book, and, and I've been to school, right? I, I've studied deeply into theology, and there's a lot of things in this book I still don't understand, right? I'm still working it out, and I won't get it worked out probably in this lifetime. So, so it's not having everything in the book figured out, but what is he talking about when he talks about the mysteries of the faith well i want to flip over and you can flip over there it'd be just a few pages in your bible there flip over to ephesians chapter 3 ephesians chapter 3 starting in verse 1 there paul kind of gives some insight into what he's talking about as far as this word mystery the mystery of the faith ephesians chapter 1 I'm just going to read the first six verses here. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, there's that word, 
how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, notice here, he's defining it a little bit here, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations. That's why it was a mystery. It was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through the gospel. And we could go to other texts as well, and we just don't have time today. But if you go through and search for that word mystery and just kind of work through the New Testament and see where that word mystery is used, most of the time it's used in reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's used in the reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, as Paul says in that text, the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was hidden in the Old Testament, right? There, there, was, there were images of it. It was there. There were images of it. There, there was this, this idea that a Christ, a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know how he was coming, right? They didn't have the full picture. But now the mystery has been revealed in full. Christ Jesus, the very Son of God, was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life in obedience to his Father's will, and yet he went to Calvary's cross and he died for our sins. And he was raised again. And now he rules and reigns over his church in, his, in heaven beside his Father. And one day he will return again and make all things new and establish his kingdom here on this earth. Summary form, that's the mystery, right? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and that whosoever believes in Jesus will be saved. The Gentiles are called in. It's not just, a, it's not just salvation for Israel. A lot of people have that idea. It's not just for Israel. It's for all who will believe in Jesus. That's the mystery. So when Paul says he, he must hold to the mystery of the faith in confidence, he's not talking about something that's strange and, and unknowable. He's talking about the mystery that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. A deacon must hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He must be firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that as it goes on in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, I'm not going to read that, but, but as it goes on there, he's not one who is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes in, right? He's not gullible, but he's sound in his faith. He believes in Jesus. He doesn't have everything figured out. I mean, my goodness, you go, we talked about Revelation Wednesday night in the men's group. We talked about the book of Revelation, and I gave a, a, a really quick summary of the book of Revelation, and there's a lot that's there, and you're like scratching your head. What does this mean? Right? You don't have to have it all figured out, but what you do have to have figured out is that God's, God's salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You've got to have that figured out. And you've got to behold that and be firm in that. 
And know that to be true so that you're not tossed to and fro when some false teacher comes by and and you're carried off with some false gospel. You must have be grounded in the faith. Must hold to that mystery of the gospel, the mystery that's no longer a mystery, but the mystery that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. That means that a deacon can't be a new convert, just like an elder up there in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, an elder is not to be a new convert. Well, so it is with a deacon. A deacon shouldn't be a new convert. A deacon shouldn't be a child in the faith, someone who has just come to faith and, and try, still trying to figure everything out. A deacon must be grounded in his faith. You know, children are really gullible. They're very gullible, right? You, you can walk up to a child, oh, got your nose, right? One time I did that, and a little girl just screamed out in hysteria. Ah! Mama said, what's wrong? He's got my nose, he got my nose. Boy, I gave it back real quick, right? <laughs> right? Children are gullible that they're, they're, they're led astray by anything that, that you kind of give them. Well, a deacon can't be a child in the faith. They can't be gullible in the faith. They can't be led astray by anything that comes along, any kind of teaching that comes along, but they must be firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For the glory of God alone. All of us need to strive for that. Right? From the time we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we should learn as much about Scripture as we, as we can. No, you don't have to become a biblical scholar. But dig into His Word. Study His Word. Make it a habit to study God's Word. To get in there, to read it, to try to understand it, and apply it to your life. That's key, Right? Uh, there's a lot of atheists who know know the scriptures backwards and forwards man there's some some uh theologians who have given their whole life to knowing scripture who are atheists they don't apply it but a man of god not only knows god's word begins to apply the gospel apply god's word to his life and so every christian should do man get in god's word we just started the, the scripture reading together as a church. Man, take that thing. If you didn't get one, let me know. We'll, we've got plenty of extras, right? We've got plenty of copies. Get a copy. Do something to get in God's word, to study God's word, to, to get grounded in the faith. So a deacon must be grounded in the mysteries of God and not a new convert, but tested they want us, verse 10 there, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, used to, we had, the, uh, we had a, a deacon ordination and you had a deacon council and the, the deacon candidate had to go through and, and uh, all the deacons got to ask questions and I've been through one of those as a deacon and, and, and as a pastor. Uh, but you know, that's not where the testing really takes place. By that time, the testing should have already been done. That's why we don't really don't necessarily do that anymore. But uh, the testing comes not from sitting before a bunch of men and having the right answers to the right to their questions, because anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. The testing comes by a church watching a man, 
seeing the measure of his life. Seeing what he's made of. Over time, we learn his character. We learn how grounded in his faith he is. And certainly we've had that time with Terrell to see his life and observe his groundedness in Scripture. So a deacon must be theologically grounded. He must be morally respected and theologically grounded. Third, a deacon is a proven servant leader. A deacon is a proven servant leader. And I think that's what we get in that last little section there in this this list of qualities. Look at verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. I think what we see here is we see the evidence, right? When we see a, a wife who is respectable and upholding the, to the faith, and when we see children who are being brought up in the Word, we're seeing a man who is leading his family as God ordained the man to lead his family in spiritual leadership. We're seeing take place here. That's what Paul is, is getting at. You see him conforming to what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 and 6. So again, we're going to flip over to Ephesians. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33 here. We see uh, this Paul talking about the, the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant. And look what he says here in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5 of Ephesians wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife he's the head of the household the spiritual leader of the household even as Christ is the head of the church his body and his self uh, his body and is himself its savior the church's savior now as the church submits to Christ also wives should submit in everything to their husbands and here's why Here's why. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and, and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. You see, when a man is, loves his wife, as Christ has ordained him to love his wife, then he is sacrificial. 
He gives of himself to make sure that, that she has the, the, the resources and tools available for her so that she can grow in her relationship to Christ, so, so that she can come, become morally respectable, so that she can be grounded in the faith. He is there to, to lead the family, to lead his wife, you see, here's the, one of the biggest problems with the church today. One of the biggest problems with the church today is that we have a bunch of men who don't want to do their job, who don't want to live up to the duty that God has called them to. Instead of them waking up in the morning and saying, come on, dear, let's go to church. Come on, kids, let's go to church. It's, the, it's God's day, let's go to church. What happens is women are having to take the leadership role. And women are having to drag their husband out of bed. If they can get their husband out of bed, they have to drag their husband out of bed and get him to church. That's wrong. That's unbiblical. If you're a man and you do that, and probably they're not here today, right? If you're a man and do that, you're not keeping the covenant that you, you covenanted your, with your wife. You're breaking the marriage covenant. You're to be a man. Be a man. Man, we have a society today who don't call men to be men. My goodness, I get mad. I, I do. I'm sorry, but I do. Men are wimps today. They're not men, they're boys who play around on their games, they dilly-daddle around with other things, and they expect their wives and kids to serve them. No, a man, you're to serve your family. You're to be the leader of service in your family. To give yourself to see your family grow in Christ. Be a man. Be a man. Be the leader. Be the one who gets up every morning and says, come on, kids, let's go. Come on, dear, let's go. Oh, no, we can't sleep in today. We need to go to church. We need to learn about Jesus. We need to conform our lives to Jesus. Daddies, husbands, you need to be ones that, that gather at the dinner table and say, all right, let's, let's bless our food. Let's pray. You need to be the one who, who leads in those Bible discussions that take place in the car or, or wherever. You're to be the ones who, who initiate that discussion to, to, to teach your children to follow Jesus when you go, when you get up in the morning, when you, when you rise, when you lay down, when you're out about along the way, as De uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us. You're to be the man. You're to do that. Be the man. Be the man. A deacon must be the man. A deacon must be the, the servant leader in his household. He has to lead his wife. And let me tell you, I know we live in an age where uh, feminism is all out there, and, and you read this, this text in, in Ephesians 5, and, and women start to cringe. But uh, let me tell you something, men. If you lead, if you love your wives as God tells you to love your wives in Ephesians chapter 5. They will want you to lead them. There won't be any problem with them submitting to your leadership if you're leading them out of love and leading them in the ways of God. Men be men. 
So deacons are proven servant leader as they are servant leaders to their wives and servant leaders to their children. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your fathers and mothers. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now notice what it says here. Not just are the children to honor their fathers and mothers, but notice what he says. Fathers. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Lead your children in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in God's word. Teach them God's word. Teach them about Jesus. Teach them about God's grace in Jesus Christ. Bring them up in the word. Daddy, that's you. It didn't say, and notice that, that Paul there in Ephesians, he doesn't say fathers and mothers. He says father. Father, bring your children up in the disciplines. Bring your children up in the 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 discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's your responsibility, first and foremost. Yes, the wives come in and help with that, but daddies, that's your, that's, your, that's your task. That's your duty. Get it done. Get it done. A deacon should exemplify this. A deacon should exemplify this. Doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect in it, right? Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in it. doesn't mean you're not going to have a prodigal you train up a child in in the ways that they should go and by God's grace they'll follow in it you do the best you can to raise your children up to love the Lord and to follow his ways men be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Be faithful fathers, faithful husbands, living out the example of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us that example, does he not? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the way you should be with your families, daddies, husbands. Your first neighbor is your family serve them serve them so a deacon is a proven servant leader providing spiritual leadership first at home and then in church as we consider these qualities of a deacon my challenge for Terrell and the deacons and every one of you here today is to maintain the qualities of of a Christ-like character in order to reflect Christ to the church and to the world. Maintain these qualities in order to reflect Christ to the church and to the world, to your family, the church and the world, right? Maintain these to reflect the character of Christ. And here's why. You know why? Here's why. Because before your children or your grandchildren ever read the first verse of scripture guess what they look at you 
before young Christians, new converts who are coming in the church ever memorize the first verse of, of Scripture, before their Bible gets broken in, they look at you. Before the lost and dying world outside these walls ever enter those doors, they're looking at you. You're the first image of Jesus that many people will ever see. So maintain these qualities. Strive to, to instill these qualities in your life and then maintain them so that you can reflect Christ to a lost and dying world. Now, of course, this is a tall order. It certainly is a tall order, and you'll never be perfect at it for sure. But if you have any hope of success whatsoever, you must do what you did when you first came to Jesus Christ. Surrender every aspect of your life to Him. Not just today, but on a daily basis. Take up your cross daily and follow Him. Every day before you get up out of bed, you, you, you pray, Lord, I surrender it all to you today. Give me the strength today to live for your glory. Second, devote yourself to study and applying God's word to your life every day. Every day, get up and, and read at least a little bit of scripture, right? Just a, a chapter or two. At least read a, a little bit of scripture every day and ask that question. All right, what's the Lord telling me? What's the Lord teaching me in this, this chapter? And how do I need to apply it to my life? What change do I need to make in my life? What do I need to do? What do I need to think, say, or do because of, of what this text is teaching me? Apply it to your life. And then depend on the power of the Holy Spirit within you to instill these qualities to strengthen you and to grow you. That's, that's his mission here, right? Is to grow you to be more like Jesus. So trust in him. Trust in him. And follow his leadership as he leads you to be more like Jesus Christ. Then and only then will you be able to maintain these qualities of Christ-like character in your life. Trust in God. Depend upon him. And he'll do the work in you. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for giving us direction today, for showing us, revealing to us these qualities of, of a Christ-like character. Certainly, Lord, these qualities must be qualities that have been instilled in the life of, of your elders and, and your deacons. But Lord, there are also qualities that each and every Christian should be striving for and trying to instill in their lives. But Lord, we, we just confess at every level, Lord, it's a struggle. It's a struggle because our flesh struggles against these characteristics. Father, we need you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. 
we thank you for what Jesus has accomplished for us. It's because of what he did on Calvary's cross. It's because of his resurrection that the power of the Holy Spirit now lives in us to change us and transform us. Thank you for Jesus. Now work in us through your power to transform us into his likeness. To instill these qualities in our lives. Thank you for Terrell. Thank you for the calling on his life. Thank you for all the deacons who serve. Lord, continue to work on each and every one of them to make them more and more like Jesus. And Father, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, I pray that you would touch their hearts and transform them today. Let them see Jesus. Let them see what Christ has done for them. Let them turn to Christ and trust in him and gain salvation in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.